What's up, everybody? You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching, where neurodivergence meets coaching. Meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah. We're your co-hosts. We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching. So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us. Neurodivergently Coaching starts now. (laughs) So today we thought that we would have a breaking ground day about neurodivergently coaching by sharing our identities and how they intertwine we're looking to unfold our authentic selves so that we are creating a courageous space for you and for us to unmask. So today we're really making it real. We are two neurodivergent people identifying differently within the neurodivergent world. And we fit so well together. When I think about us working together, it is like the inside of a watch or a clock where it's two separate human beings, two separate pieces that just forms so beautifully together to make the clock or watch work. <laughs> the wheels are always turning and it's always usually colliding beautifully. And we want you to experience that. We really want you to know why we believe that and why we believe that as we come together, uh, we have something to contribute to both the world of neurodivergence and the world of coaching. Yes, agreed. And this is so meaningful work and we're so excited to be here. Do you want to start first with how you identify Deborah? (laughs) <laughs> I know. I like the nickname Deb and she likes Deborah. And I'm I keep forgetting <laughs> what I always your, that's a part of your identity. It is. It is. What I always say is it's Deborah. It is Deb is okay. Never Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Yeah. So um just thinking about identity. We've had a lot of conversation about this. And one of the things that I've come to realize so is that I have identified pretty much all my life as ally. um, And it's very recent that I am member of the community. And so that is part of the shaping of my story. And I don't know, do you want me to kind of go back to the beginning and where this all comes from? Yeah, let's go back. Let's take it all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. Um, so here's the thing. I have um, an avatar that um, comes to mind that describes who I was when I was a little girl. And that little girl was little cross-eyed girl with blue horn-rimmed glasses. And so she's a smart little girl who never really fit in. But things like blue horn-rimmed glasses were always like my, my superpower identifier, costuming, right? So, you know, when I think about it all my life, 
everyone loves the way Deborah dresses. Everyone hates the way Deborah dresses. <laughs> and because it's, it's, it's a costume to me, it's an expression of my creativity. And so uh, smart little girl, white, middle class, second generation, born in Toronto, Canada, on my maternal grandparents' side from Poland, uh, came over during the war, um, escaping the Holocaust, and on my father's side, Polish and Russian, uh, but they were here much earlier. Um, and really, it's my maternal grandparents that had the most influence over my life. My parents, white, liberal, Jewish, university-educated, intellectual, social justice warriors. And they are the generation, and I was raised as the generation of, we don't see color. And so growing up in Toronto, Canada, big Jamaican uh, Canadian population, and uh, it was only through uh, some of my best friends growing up that I really learned that we don't see color is uh, harmful and basically erases their identity. And so I'm so grateful for having had um, those friends over the years that have really helped me to understand that, uh, that piece of my own identity, but that piece of the identity of folks around me. Wow, that is so beautiful. And so I, I want to say, like, I think that's the early years. Like, I didn't necessarily identify as neurodivergent. Um, certainly, I'm of such an age that, that that word was not even part of the zeitgeist yet. Um, and, and yet, as an adult, I am realizing that both of my parents in their social justice work were working with folks who more than likely fell into that category and that there are uh, first degree relatives, my father, my daughter, that more than likely fell into the neurodivergent territory. You said your daughter and your father fell into the neurodivergent category. You said more than likely? Yeah. So my daughter is diagnosed ADHD. And um, based on everything that her and I know, so my father passed seven years ago, and that was a really significant moment in my life. Mm. Uh, but my daughter and I have, now that she's an adult, she's a young adult, she's 24. She's, so I should maybe bring that into the conversation. She, and with her permission. So we've talked a lot about this. Um, so she was diagnosed with learning disabilities and uh, some physical invisible disabilities when she was a child. And after her second concussion, she was diagnosed with post-concussion ADHD. She's presently in her seventh year of completing her undergrad. And uh, we, think, we think she's gonna get it done this year. She's done uh, a couple of internships and such along the way, so building her resume. But, um, Gosh, it's been such an interesting journey talking to her. Like one day she said to me, so our nickname for my father was Dampy. And one day she says to me, I think Dampy had ADHD. And wow, like that hit me totally out of the blues. And then within a week of that, like all the kind of building blocks started falling into place. It almost was like the watch mechanisms that you were describing earlier. I have a collection on, this is going to blow people away. I have a collection on my wall that I inherited from my father. 
It is a collection of masks. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, and the fact that I inherited that collection of all the folks in the family and it sits proudly, it's been on my office wall forever. It's uh, inspirational for me. I don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> no. Oh gosh. I no. really don't. The way, so I'm highly, highly intuitive. And the way that I explain intuition to, I want to say the, the average bear is to say this, um, there's some crazy number, like 600 or something pieces of information that we take in per second. And the only difference between someone who's highly intuitive is we take in more pieces of those information than the average person. And I have since learned. So I've always all my life known I'm intuitive and yet I'm, I've always been searching for like, what are all these disparate, disparate, odd pieces of myself? How do they all fit together? So now I know that as part of my neurodivergence that I have, um, I want to say extra sensory feelers, <laughs> like my sensory perception is huge and it can be to my detriment and it can be harnessed. And I think it was more often than not harnessed in my life, which is why I wasn't diagnosed until later in life until very recently. It's so funny you say that because Sometimes I feel as if, as a neurodivergent woman, I feel as if sometimes I see too much or I know too much and it can be overwhelming. And I see that intuitive sense within my neurodivergent clients as well. Mm, It's that highly sensitive being, that highly empathetic being. And I think because something I see in my coaching clients too, is because we take in so much information um, that can cause some friction at work and how that appears is, gosh, this is so common. I hear this all the time that my clients can not only see the problems and the solutions on the road ahead, but they see them before other folks who are not neurodivergent even anticipate the problem. So, and that causes friction because everyone, you know, thinks that, that we're off topic or we're worrying about things that don't need to be worried about, but because we in the present moment are taking in so much information, um, that can be really valuable if we can learn to communicate it in ways that you can hear it. If you can learn to hear it in ways that we can communicate it. Yeah. And not only at work, but in pretty much all relationships as well. That's why relationships are known to be a struggle with people that identify as neurodivergent or actually they don't have to identify as neurodivergent. Having that characteristic part of their identity. Usually sometimes there are challenging moments within relationships. Yeah. So I'm uh, now I'm a little bit torn because I want I want us to unfold you mm-hmm. and I want us to unfold identity. So let's go. Okay, so 
me, my early years, for the listeners that don't know, <laughs> I am a Black woman. I am a United States citizen that is living as an immigrant in Canada right now, but we're not going to talk about right now. We are talking about my identity. So I was born in the United States, in New York, by immigrant to the United States parents. My family is Jamaican. My In my younger years, I then moved from the United States to Jamaica to live with my grandmother while my parents were separating, divorcing. And I spent many years off and on in Jamaica. It felt more on. (laughs) I even went to school there and I came back finally from Jamaica to the United States. And I came back an immigrant of the United States, which is a very interesting experience to be American in Jamaica and Jamaican in America. So there was this sense of me that never really belonged anywhere because I was always perceived to be one or the other or put into this box of, well, this is where you're from and this is who you are. And life in the United States was so different than in Jamaica, where predominantly everyone is Black and the culture is different. So when I moved to the United States, I was a chubby Black girl. Maybe I spoke a little differently. I was really picked on because of my weight and never really feeling like I belonged There, I felt kind of outcasted. So my parents, as a child, my childhood and my parents, it was more about survival as immigrants, survival to make it, survival to pay the bills, survival to put food on the table, especially living with my single mother. Interest and passion, I don't, (laughs) I don't, that was not forefront in my experience. It was just, we've got to do what we got to do and we have to make it. And my neurodivergent identity, now knowing how I identify compared to then, was really on the back burner. I I don't think anyone was thinking, oh, maybe she learns differently. Maybe she's struggling. That wasn't an option. Struggling wasn't an option. It was about you had to do good. You had to make things happen and you had to be normal, I guess, or fit in and get by. So that was pretty much, I believe, from my experience, most of my childhood as a citizen, but yet immigrant. (laughs) Yeah, say more. So says the coach. (laughs) (laughs) I later have been diagnosed as ADHD and undiagnosed as dyslexic. That was when I was around 29 years old. And it made so much sense to me looking back 
at my childhood and how much I struggled in English. I remember in English class having to stand up in front of the class once a week and had to read out loud and so struggled with that. And to this day, it's that part of me that I have to encourage this young girl that she's going to be just fine and do well. It's always, always been hiding in plain sight is what we like to call it here because that's what it does. It is a part of who we are and how we move through the world. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think I, I do want to say, I want, I, I, I want to get it out for this episode is that your diagnosis came in uh, sort of early to mid adulthood. And mine comes to me as uh, I would say in many parts of the world, I'm classified as a senior. So I'm in the sunset years of my, of my career and I, ha- I am the happiest and the healthiest that I've ever been in my life. And so uh, we, we have talked about this weight has been an issue for me uh, all my life, but I am the happiest and the healthiest. And part of that is because I have uh, my second husband, uh, bless his soul, is, is incredibly supportive and helpful. And the only reason that I sought diagnosis was because, first of all, I read a description of adult female autism and it blew me out of the water. I already knew that I was uh, so Samantha Kraft is the person who has that. It's a checklist. It's not a diagnosis thing. And then there's something else called highly sensitive person that I also identified with. And I was very content with knowing those pieces, knowing that like I, there's nothing more I need in life to be healthy and happy. But coming on to this journey, I wanted to be in integrity. And I want to be able to say with confidence that I am either an ally with and for or an ally and a member. So um very, very, very recently, I received a diagnosis. And so I am ADHD, which is uh, level one autism with ADHD, and twice exceptional. So those are, um, we're, we're going to get more into terminology, but kind of it means smarter than the average bear, mm-hmm. um, or gifted, which is why, you know, there's this whole generation of women that they're calling lost generation. I mean, we're going to get into this um, diagnosis of ADHD as an adult is very, very, very new. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a thing when we were growing up. And diagnosing women is very different than diagnosing young white boys. And so lots of interesting pieces that come together in in terms of how our identities fit like a glove, like our experiences are so different. Mm-hmm. Our neurodivergences are so different. Yeah, I totally agree. And what's coming up for me is the fact that I didn't get diagnosed because I suspected anything. I got diagnosed because my nephew, <laughs> my family member, <laughs> got diagnosed and his parents mentioned that it's something that's genetical. So 
I went to get diagnosed just to see. I didn't know anything about it. And I got diagnosed and still didn't know anything about it, but was put on medication and felt a lot of stigma and shame around taking the medication because of all that I was hearing on the news and in the media about medication. And yet it really helped me. But at the same time, as soon as I would not be on it, I would be back to the beginning of not knowing anything about my identity. So just being diagnosed didn't really inform me about my identity. It gave me a clue into the direction to research. I put the pieces together more saying, oh, that's me and that's me and that's not me and this is me and this is how I'm showing up. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of brings us to a piece that is, you know, so how do, how do we come together, but also how does coaching come into all of this, right? Which is that um, post-diagnosis that there's, there's a quite a big void in terms of adjusting to meds, choices in meds. Um, How do I live my life now that I I understand marginally what my identity is from a neurological perspective and how does that affect how I live? And, you know, and then we can go ahead and we can, you know, as an individual research that Dr. Google is always good for that and Dr. TikTok and, you know, and so on and so forth. But I think the thing is, is how do we really, I want to say the rub of it is how do we create a good life for ourselves? And I think coaching is really, really, I want to say well-positioned, but that's not even the word I mean. You know, coaching is a really good, solid intervention for that if, and it's a big if, if the coaches that we choose have some understanding of neurodivergence and the the delta between neurodivergence and the neurotypical world. And again, I want to say in layperson's terms, you know, who, who we are as neurodivergent folks and how the world operates and how did the two come together and what's the delta there for a human being specific. Being a coach that is neurodivergent and having clients that are neurodivergent, I myself knew I had ADHD and undiagnosed dyslexic and still would forget or not understand. And I think that the biggest myth is that people that are ADHD, for example, don't focus. And Mm -hmm. these are all things that society tells you gives you these messages and feeds these beliefs. But as coaches, where neurodivergence can always be in the room, or possibly is in the room, that understanding how the the reality of it, almost like a lot of coaches being trauma informed, I believe neurodivergence informed is just as important as being 
<laughs> trauma informed all of the, you know, the the systems that make up human beings. And I'm speaking from the perspective of, like I said, someone that's neurodivergent and also my clients that have don't know that possibly it's there. And I see it loud and clear and I don't say anything. And I see that they don't know it's there or I'm only suspecting it's there or not understanding for themselves. Like I didn't understand what that really meant and how it impacts every corner of our life and how that for my ADHD and my perspective, it's almost attached to every part of my life. So keeping that in the back of the mind as a coach and being able to support our clients is just so important. Yeah. So Sometimes I feel like I started a dialogue in my head and then I finish it out loud and I think, how come you're not getting what I'm saying? (laughs) That happens for me fairly often. And what's coming up for me in this moment is um, that we're talking about all the things that we talk about and we still have some unfolding to do for our, our listeners. And so, you know, I think part of that this snippet of conversation is what will we be talking about in episodes to come? But I think what what feels right for me in this moment is if we just talk about a, a little bit about what what qualifies us to talk about this, right? Like who are we as coaches and who are our clients and and who are you, the listener? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. So um, I guess what I want to say is like this idea of hiding in plain sight is big for both of us, right? So we feel you, the listener, are either coaches who have clients who are neurodivergent, or you yourself are neurodivergent and hiding in plain sight. And the, the latter, I'm not sure um, whether it's still not clear to me whether or not the profession of coaching has just filtered out folks who have are neurodivergent because we're at least 10 to 20% of the population. And I can't find the coaches that are neurodivergent other than Terry, bless your heart. You know, we hope that uh, you are one of those two folks, or even maybe a neurodivergent person along for the ride, just interested. As for me, I was hiding in plain sight most of my life as an ally. And now I I identify as, uh, of course, ally and member. But what I do want to say, first of all, is that I'm, I'm a professional coach credentialed through the International Coaching Federation. I'm a trained ADHD coach. Um, and I have some other uh, specific training in coaching supervision and neuroscience uh, and working with folks who experience brain fog. In any case, in my practice, both uh, on digital platforms and direct service, 90% plus of my clients are neurodivergent, diagnosed or undiagnosed, disclosed with their employers or undisclosed. I'm a life and leadership coach. The other thing I want to say is that I'm also a practitioner researcher. And what that means is that my master's degree in education uh, was that my capstone research had to do with uh, coaching barriered and marginalized populations, coaching models in use, three years of doctoral candidacy, um, and then academia just beat it 
right out of me. And I took my project, which is in uh, coaching supervision and DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I brought it out of academia into the community. So um, suffice it to say that, you know, although I'm not a doctor, I have gone uh, pretty far down the rabbit hole of coaching and neurodivergence. And so I think that's, that's kind of what I wanted to say there. Yeah, well, I guess I'll just jump in with <laughs> a part of my identity as a coach. I am credentialed through the International Coaching Federation as an ACC coach. I don't have as much work history as Deborah does. I or gray hair <laughs> or gray hair. We are we have uh, generational differences. But I am certified as a diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner and an anti-racism practitioner from the University of British Columbia and really just absolutely love everything DEI, very passionate about it. I identify as a neurodivergent person, as I was saying earlier, and as I started to really launch my career into entrepreneurship, because I've always worked within different organizations, I was kind of slapped in the face with my, my neurodivergence and realized I looked up when the rose-colored glasses slipped off or I woke up and realized that clients were neurodivergence in some way and they've all gravitated towards me and I am so excited to have met Deborah. I've gotten so much education through her and also educating myself as I go along and live and learn. You know and I think that's part of that fits like a glove piece is like you know, we've just in terms of like the tasks to get this monumental thing off the ground, you know, I said, I just, I'm a word nerd. Like, I just want to nerd out, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, and Terry is, is the creative for sure. There's mm -hmm. some things that we want to say in wrapping up this very first sort of tip of the iceberg episode. Yeah. So here we are. I want to say we want to have a segment near the end that that's called down the rabbit hole. And that's just where we're going to provide some rabbit holes that you might want to drop, drop into for fun. And the first thing we want to say today is uh, find us on LinkedIn, join our community on neurodivergentlycoaching.com. Yes. What else do we have to say? Before we go, we have to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience. Yeah, thanks for that, Terry. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here. Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe like and please share and if you are a coach connect with us at neurodivergently.com the online community 
That's neurodivergentlycoaching.com. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and of course, we're on LinkedIn. Please follow us. So until next time, keep coaching neurodivergently.